first 11 verses of Acts 5, message two, disastrous vices. If you will recollect from last week, amazing sharing amongst the believers in the first century church was taking place. People were selling houses and lands and bringing the proceeds uh, to the apostles and it was being distributed to everybody that had a need. And it was quite phenomenal, the picture that was coming out. And uh, the last thing that we read of was Barnabas also had a tract of land and he sold that and brought the proceeds to the apostles to be distributed. And so verse 1 of chapter 5 starts this way, But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, "'Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price.' She said, "'Yes.' That was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, we've been reading the book of Acts up until now, and phenomenal things have been happening. Thousands of people have been added to the church through the preaching of Peter and through the ministry of the early apostles. And as this amazing sharing was happening, there was such selflessness amongst the believers. And amongst all of the good that was happening in the church, there was this occurrence that just brought this tremendous fear amongst this early community. And rightly so. If we were witnesses of this, we would be thinking, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this is happening. And we would definitely be mindful of these particular occurrences. And so the main idea today is this. I want to bring to you two particular vices. Hunger for recognition and the love of money. These two vices will ruin your life and they will compromise your faith. And I want to highlight these two things in the midst of our passage today. Let's talk about this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, At face value, integrity wasn't important to them, right? You just kind of read the passage and you think, okay, yeah, integrity is not important. They had this unhealthy desire for peer recognition. You know, they would do anything to be liked. It seemed to be the case with this particular passage. Uh, They acted on the approval of others, not inner conviction. And they felt a tremendous pressure to fit in and to give, but they didn't have the faith 
to give it all. And I think we can identify to a certain extent with Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, it's not like we can point a finger at them all. Oh, man, you guys, you guys. I mean, how could you do such a thing? There's a sense that you can identify with that, that there was something inside of them that they felt a pressure to fit in of what was happening around them and to give, but there was something in them that clung to say, you know what, man, this is just so much. I don't know if we can give it all. And so this husband and wife duo, they had this particular plan. And more than being angry at what I read about this couple, I actually feel sorry for them. And it's in a sense, they were always reacting. And we, fe- we finished last week by talking about Barnabas and how he gave this tract of land and he had this great nickname, right? Son of Encouragement. And you can imagine that amongst all of the generosity that was happening, people were being recognized for it. Now, I know common day what happens is, you know, especially you go to establishments or universities or corporations, when you have major donors, like they donate thousands or millions of dollars, they have these like plaques or monuments saying, you know, in, in honor of or in memory of. And whenever there are these donors, there's this kind of recognition in, in the community that such a person gave this amount and we, we put a statue or a plaque or some sort of a monument to recognize that. Now, I don't necessarily think they did that in the early church, but what is clear is that those who were giving were being recognized for their gifts. Barnabas was being recognized. He's recorded. And I know Barnabas is recorded, but there were many others. And there was this thing that was happening in Ananias, his heart, and his wife's heart. As all of these people were living so selflessly and the church was being formed and they were selling their stuff and saying, you know what, there's all of this need and we feel a desire and a heart to want to give to support this need. Ananias was like, wait a minute, um, everybody's seemingly giving here. And we own some land, and you know our, our neighbor Ted over there owns some land, and he sold it, and there was this pressure. I think we've all felt the pressure to fit in, haven't we? Whether it be in the workplace or in the family, that our, our siblings or our friends or our colleagues, they're, they're doing stuff and they're being recognized for it, and we're kind of there observing this, saying, wait, um, should I? Could I? Must I? And Ananias and Sapphira, they were feeling this pressure of selling the tract that they owned, and so they did it. And I think in the beginning there was a part of them that might have wanted to give the entire proceeds of the sale, right? But something happened after the selling, and in the midst of all of this, that upon selling it and before they brought the money to the church, Something just snagged in their heart. Something just snagged in their minds. Whoa, hold on for a second. Do you really want to give all of it? And so this husband and wife come together and they say, what should we do? And Ananias and Sapphira have, at that point, the most important discussion of their entire marriage. And they're deciding what to do with this sum of money. And in this conversation, I can imagine values, ideals, desires. Everything was being surfaced. And in the midst of this, somehow they let that conversation get out of control. 
somehow they were not able to rein back greed and pride and allow love and generosity, integrity and faithfulness to step up. Somehow they pushed those things to the side and something else hooked. And you can't blame them for that. I mean, we've all allowed pride and greed to set into our hearts and we've made decisions based on these things. But in this very important conversation that Ananias and Sapphira as a husband and a wife were having behind closed doors, it resulted in something disastrous. Kind of discussing the dynamics of their marriage. I mean, here in Verse 1, a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of land. And it says that he kept back some of the price for himself with the full knowledge or the collusion of his wife Sapphira. And in the husband and wife dynamic, here I see a very important thing. Now, a husband and wife ought to keep one another accountable because neither is perfect. And when one person has a good footing, it is very possible for another, the other spouse to have a weak one. And it can go either way. And let's think about from the perspective of Ananias, the husband. Somehow, he felt unsure that he could not provide for his family if he gave all of the proceeds. And there was something that said, we need to hold it back. And he came up with this idea. And there needed to have been, in that instance, a wife beside him that would put his greed in check. And so in the husband and wife dynamic, it is so important for the man to find a woman who fears the Lord. Because a scriptural principle, you've probably heard this in jest, right? The man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck. She turns it any way she wants. There's, in a sense, some truth to that. That the husband's heart is so connected to the wife that he heeds the desires of the woman in his life. That a woman has that much power over the man in her life. And so for the man, it is so important to have a wife and a woman in his life that fears the Lord, that is willing to put him in his place when he needs to be. When his heart is running amok, when his thoughts are going in the gutter, there needs to be a woman in his life that will say, this does not honor the Lord. And so for the women here, I encourage you that when you have entered into a marriage and there's a man in your life, and God says, I want the two of you to be one. That there is this idea of submission to your husband as unto the Lord. But submitting to your husband does not mean submitting to the point of sin. It does not mean that. And there needs to be a space that I, though I honor my husband and I revere him and I submit to him in that sense, there needs to be the space where I say, wait a minute, this is not right. And I need to hold my ground in that. And the other side of it, for the women, it is so important to marry a man that loves and fears the Lord as well. To, to have a man in your life that does not fear God is literally to go on a voyage on a ship without an anchor. There will be storm, and it is just going to and fro. There is really no sense of stability. It is chaos. 
And so for the man here to be able to lead in a way that says, I will lead this family to the Lord and to look upon a wife and to love her and cherish her as Christ did the church. And so the picture here that we see of Ananias and Sapphira, something fell through the cracks in a very, very bad way. And what we see here is what should have happened is Ananias, whether it be Sapphira saying, you know what, I don't think we should give all of the money. Ananias should have stepped in and said, you know what, no, that this is what will honor. If, we, if we're going to keep back some of the money, we need to, to, to fully disclose that. Or it should have been the other way if it was Ananias saying, you know what, I just don't know if we can survive without this. And so we need to keep back. It needed to be Sapphira to say, wait a minute, we need to put something in check here. And so the marriage is beautiful because the husband and wife offer two different vantage points, but yet are considered one flesh. And in this space, they are called to keep one another accountable and bring each other closer to the Lord. And that is what was missing in this marriage. Under the full collusion of the both of them, the full knowledge of both. And so you cannot say it was Ananias's or Sapphira's. It was the both of them as a unit that brought this disaster upon themselves. I'm going to share a couple of points here. And the first one is this. When we live for approval and the love of money, there is no limit to our compromise or deception. Now, I'm going to reinforce those two vices. The hunger for recognition, that's pride, right? You want to inflate your your perception amongst the people, and you want to be held in high regard, and there's this appetite and desire just to be recognized for the things that you do. That can be a, a a dangerous vice. And another that's clear in Scripture is the love of money. When these two take root in a person's heart, there is no limit to compromise or deception. Ananias and Sapphira had these two major problems. They were extremely hungry hungry to be recognized because they, they were probably jealous of Barnabas. They were probably jealous of the recognition that the others were getting and they wanted to include themselves in that great list of people that were selling their houses and lands to share amongst everybody. And so they were extremely hungry for that recognition. And the second thing is that they could not overcome their greed or their love for money. They might have initially wanted to give all of the proceeds, but something happened that, that botched that plan. Because once the love of money takes root in your heart, I will compromise truth and I will compromise values. Yesterday, to kind of illustrate the point, I was watching CNBC and there's this series on this channel called American Greed. Has anyone ever seen that show? It highlights people who have risen and fallen and fallen very hard because of greed. And yesterday there was an episode on about a pharmacist. He had amassed a $19 million wealth. And, you know, uh, the people that were either auditing or or what, some red flags were coming up. And so people were looking more into what he was doing, into his practice as a pharmacist. And what they discovered is 
that he was diluting medicine, drugs, as he was selling it to doctors. And so he would get chemotherapy drugs for $500, and he would normally take that and sell it to a doctor for $1,000. But what he would do is buy it for $500 and separate it, dilute it to three portions and sell it for $1,000 each. So he would effectively make not $500 profit, but $2,500 profit on the same drugs that he bought. And as it was being discovered that he was diluting the drugs of cancer patients, all of a sudden these, these flags were flying up everywhere. And as they were digging deeper, questioning him more and more, it was discovered he was diluting any kind of drug that could be diluted, his AIDS patients, and every patient. And it was, the list was just piling high and high. And thousands of prescriptions were being diluted. And we're talking about major treatments for patients. And as he was being interviewed by the FBI, or questioned by the FBI, why did he do this? The bottom line, he said, was it was all about money. And this guy was a deacon in his church. And one of the statements that he gave of why he diluted the drugs to make more money was because he pledged a million dollars to his church. And, you know, of course, that was just a fabricated thing. But we're talking about a person who was in an upstanding position in a church. And yet, when greed took place, took root in his heart, there was no limit, cancer patient, AIDS patient, it did not matter whose life he would compromise. Because greed set in. we felt the power of greed, haven't we? we felt the allure of money. And when this takes a hold, it rips families apart, marriages apart, friendships apart. It sends people away from businesses and it makes everything sour when greed sets in. Because to the person who loves money above all else, there is nothing that is off limits, nothing that will be spared in order to gain more of it. And so I say, this need for approval of just wanting to look good in the eyes of people and this unhealthy desire for more and more money, that you need to recognize it and catch it at its root and just uproot it. Because when this remains, this is a guarantee. That if these two remain, it will ruin your life. You will not have healthy relationships around you. It will compromise your faith. This is not to say that you cannot be recognized by the, your peers and you cannot have wealth in your life. You can have those things. But when they become a vice, where you want these things at all costs, sparing nothing, it will ruin your life. It did for Ananias and Sapphira. And the second thing that I'll say to us today is that to God, ungenuine faith is worse than no faith. And that seems odd, right? It seems like, okay, if you have a little bit of faith, it's better than having none. <laughs> but the scriptures are, are very, very clear when it says that uh, how much we give is of little consequence to God. What He's concerned with is how we give, right? That God gave Peter a word of knowledge, and so Ananias is coming with this big lump sum of money, and he lays it at 
Peter's and the other apostles' feet. And God gives him a word of knowledge. And basically he tells Peter and he shows Peter that there's deception happening here. And this must have shocked everybody and of everybody, Ananias should have been the most shocked. I mean, he's probably expecting praise. You know, he's bringing this money, laying it at the apostles' feet, and he's expecting now uh, the cheers and the recognition of Peter and the apostles and the people that are around. And instead of the cheer and recognition, what he gets is reprimand. And he's called on the spot in that moment because God gives him a word. And he says, this is not what you sold the amount for. And so he calls him out on it. And Ananias, I can imagine, all of a sudden his heart is pounding, it's racing. I mean, beats per minute, we're talking off the charts now. And most people say that Ananias died because of a heart attack. His transgression, their transgression, was not about withholding money. Let's say they sold it, in, let's say in our day, let's just say... Uh, $200,000. And let's say they brought 150 of that $200,000. And keeping back a quarter of it. And keeping back $50,000 of the 200 is not the transgression here. So it's not that they withheld a portion of it. It's that they were deceptively implying that they were bringing all of it. And that the lie, according to Peter, was not to men in the circle here that this money was being brought to, but the lie was to God. And Peter says, this property, like, wasn't it under your control before you sold it? You didn't have to sell it, you know? And you would still be in good standing in this community. You didn't have to sell it. And after you sold it, didn't you have it under your control what to do with all of this money? You could have brought 150000 and kept fifty for yourself. That would have been just fine. And so it is not about withholding money. It was about wanting to be recognized in a way and withholding it and deceiving in the process. And here we see the two vices of the pride and the greed set in. Because if those weren't there, they could have brought three quarters of it and said, you know what, we're still keeping back this amount because we need to, as we foresee the next year, two years, this is what we want to do with this sum of money. But we're bringing this because we see the need there. And that would have been wonderful in the church, wholly accepted by God. But here, it is the ungenuine faith that is called out by God. It is the deception And that this sin was so unnecessary because, like I had mentioned, it was wholly under their control. It was a huge gift, a great gift. But that gift was tainted because of the vices, because of the deception. And so as you read this passage, um, where's the application for us? You know, how do you take this? I mean, this is a, a very strange occurrence, right? Through this great good deed of giving this offering to the church and to the needy people of that community, two people fall dead, a husband and wife. Whether they had children, we don't know. Whether they were left orphan, I mean, you know, that's not recorded for us. But this husband and wife needlessly died because they could not overcome these two vices. 
And to the degree that these vices are present in our life is the degree that you need to do internal surgery. And you need to look inside, probe, and you need to say, I need to distance myself as far as possible from the hunger for recognition and the love of money. As far as you can get, look inside, where is this desire that I just want to be recognized and I will do anything and everything to get my name there for people to speak well of me and to gain more and more money, even if it is through deception and the lack of integrity. Is that present in my life? cheating my way through. And I want you to, to just probe and say, God, would you just shine a light into those areas? And I want to live according to faith. And what's important to realize here is that faith must always come before the works of our lives. Let us never think that we're accepted to God because of the money we give or the time we serve or the resources that we have at our disposal that we'll sacrifice for the many. Let us never think that that is why God accepts us. God accepts us before we've given anything that I need not give my time or my money for God to say, child, I love you, I welcome you. Let us never, ever fall into that error. God says, I see you, I love you, and I just want your faith. And that's so important for us, to allow faith to always come first and f- to, the, to, the, to, the, to the front. To say, I will lead by faith, not by giving, not by works. I will lead that way. And when faith goes, when faith grows, when we allow faith in God and the love of God to, to just permeate the spaces of our heart, suddenly there's, it pushes out the greed, right? It pushes out the other things, the pride. And then we begin, when works follow faith, good things happen. But when works try to lead the way, only bad things can happen. Because we're saying, I want the works to shine and there's not faith there. And so a good rule of thumb is to give according to your faith, right? And so as your faith in God grows, as God is doing things in your heart, allow the works of your life to follow that. Don't allow the works to go in the front and say, you know what, come on, I know I don't want to do this, but I'm just going to do it anyway, right? Because I want to be recognized for it. Allow the other way. Allow faith to go up front. Distance yourself from this unhealthy pride, this need for recognition, and oh, that great evil of the love of money. And so I leave you with two application points as Praise Team comes back. And the first is this. Build the habit of giving meaningful things to God that nobody sees. Because I believe this attacks both vices, right? The hunger for recognition is this one. Give it in a way where nobody's acknowledging that, right? And give meaningful things. This is attacking that love for money, that greed, right? Because when we give substantially to the Lord, it it does something. And we're, we're attacking, saying, you know what? It is not about that money or the accumulation of that. And so build a habit of giving meaningful things to God that are beyond the eyes of people. And in so doing, you will break down the stronghold of these vices that are so damaging in our lives. And the second is this. Be hot or cold. In the book of Revelation, God says to the church of Laodicea, and you might know this passage very well, He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. 
I would have it that you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, he says. And so it reinforces the point that God wants us to have a faith that is strong. And he would rather have us have no faith than an ungenuine one. And so as you examine and probe for those vices, consider that space of allowing your heart and the faith within it to grow hot and not to straddle a fence. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, when you straddle a fence, all you're in for is a wedgie, right? It's just not a good space, right? And so uh, choose a side to, to serve and honor the Lord. Or if it's not right now, allow God to work in your heart at a future time. But not to live this dual space and place of faith and no faith and saying, you know, I'm going to be here or there, neither here, neither there. But to be hot or cold. And in that place, God would say, I see where you are. And either hot or cold, you are genuinely hot or cold. But to be in the middle is to be neither. Amen.